G'day friends, welcome back. Well, there is a bit to get through today. There's obviously the two prelims to go through and I will, plenty to break down there. Um, really exciting football over the weekend. There is the grand final now to preview. Um, th th there's stuff going on with Ticket Fuckery by Ticketek. There's the North Melbourne uh, priority pick stuff that I want to touch on, but there's also the Brownlow medal, which has just finished up. There is a lot to unpack there. It's a controversial result. A lot of people are not going to be happy. Um, it, it is... If, if you take away all the controversy that is that has already happened and is going to come, like if you just look at the count purely as a count... It's one of the best ever. Like going into the last round with the potential for a five-way tie. <laughs> like crazy. It was crazy. Um, let's get into it. talk about the Brownlow first because as I said it's just finished up it's fresh in my mind Lockie Neal has won a second Brownlow a, a rare feat and a really really impressive and remarkable accomplishment um, but unfortunately it's got a bad smell about it he didn't have a great year he did not have a Brownlow year. He, he wasn't named in the All-Australian side. I don't know when the last time a Brownlow medalist was not also All-Australian. I don't know if that's ever happened. There is forever now going to be a bad smell around this year's Brownlow. Um... It, it's it, it, the dust has not even settled yet. There's going to be a lot of unpacking and discussion, and um, people people are going to be upset about this. People are going to be really upset about this. Um, dogs fans, especially. Um, th there was a number of really interesting uh, voting decisions by the umpires. But the AFL and the umpiring, just as a, as a total package, um, has never been more shambolic than it has been this year. The four umpires has not worked. It's been a complete and utter failure. The umpiring is the worst that it's ever been. I'm going to touch on the umpiring that occurred over the weekend. Um, and there, there was a few... Look, when I say a few, I mean I literally a few, like a handful at most of um, voting decisions that were revealed tonight um, where you just go, what the holy hell 
are they talking about? I'm talking Jason Horn Francis, round 14, 13 disposals, like seven clangers, gets three votes. Um, I'm talking like, you know, the Dom Sheed one from round 12 is interesting because, you know, he had 40 odd touches and kicked a goal, I think, or two goals. Um, he probably was the best player on the ground, but his team lost by 10 goals. So that has controversy around it. Jack Sinclair, I'm going to let my Saints fan come out a little bit here. Jack Sinclair in round 10, 37 disposals, two goals, was the best player on the ground by a country mile, and St Kilda won the game, not a single vote. So really, really interesting stuff there. Um, I don't think the Brownlow, as an event like this and as... An, an award with this must this much prestige is long for this world. I think within five years they're going to pivot to either the players' award or the coaches' award, or they're, they're going to change something because it's just it's it's becoming a little bit silly. Some years the Brownlow, like no one likes the umpires. Um, <laughs> um, we're getting some really odd results. Um, like the, it would be very, very difficult to to have like the coaches award be something like this because there's obviously inherent, you know, like bias there, and we've had bias problems before with the umpires with what happened last year and the betting and all of that. But with the coaches, it would be built in. Like, you know, when you have the potential to have your player win the the most coveted solo award in the competition, you wouldn't be able to help yourself. Um, same with the, same if it was the players award, your teammates, that, that wouldn't really work either. So I think they will rejig it in one way or another because, and, and look, none of this at all is the fault of Lockie Neal. He just was playing footy, yeah? And maybe he did deserve to win the Brownlow, maybe. Um, but from all the, the, the numbers and the eye test and the, when you look at the All-Australian side, he was not close to the best player in the competition this year. Not even close. So, um yeah, it's an interesting one. It's not his fault at all, and I feel bad because he's such a lovely guy. Like, <laughs> he's great. Very, very popular guy. So he's going to get hate and awful things directed straight at him, which is unfair and wrong and just terrible. Um, but yeah, they need, they need to rejig this somehow another thing they need to rejig is how fucking goddamn long it goes for this could be a tight tight two hours but no it, it blows out to you know i mean god when you include the red carpet you, it, it takes 11 fucking days to <laughs> to do this award but the actual show itself the awards show by the time they finish, like, you know, speaking to Lockie, it was coming up to three hours, which is just way too long. They're going to an ad break every 15 fucking seconds. 
Alrighty, we've done all the intros. We've seen the Gavin Wanganeen pre-recorded intro. And then Hamish McLaughlin's come on the stage and said all the exact same things. And now we've gone to an ad break. Now we're doing rounds one and two. Now we're going to an ad break. Now we can put a leaderboard up. We're doing three more rounds and we go on an ad break. And then then just, oh my God, every single, later on, we're going to talk to the guys at the front bar for five minutes for some fucking god or stupid ass reason because it's on channel seven and they need to promote a show that already like loads of people already watch anyway and then we go another ad break and oh we're gonna have the really um cute kid archie do his little segment he's awesome and then we're going another ad break oh we're gonna honor the retiring players and then we're going to another ad break we're doing the jim steins medal then we're going to another ad break ron barassi died and then we're going to another ad break oh and here's another two rounds we're going to another ad break we've been going for nine and a half fucking hours and we've done six rounds of football jesus fucking christ <laughs> oh i get that like you know, free-to-air television needs to be paid for in one way or another. I know that you need to have ads, but sweet suffering Christ. I would rather have three ad breaks that went for 15 minutes each or 20 minutes each, whatever. Like, we're having an ad break now. It's going to go for half an hour Go take a shit, go make a coffee, whatever you need to do, and come back, all right? And then we're going to do another 45 minutes of unbroken television for you before we have another break. (laughs) Sometimes they came back from a break, literally came back from a break. Oh, here's goal and mark of the year. We're not doing any Brownlow votes. We're doing goal and mark of the year, and then we're going to another fucking break. Oh, my God. It was a very, very frustrating watch. Just just going forever. They, and, and why does it start so late? Why? Friday night football starts at 7.50. That's already too late. The, the, the broadcast of the fucking show was it's said it was going to start at 8. It started about 8.05. They do all the, all the pre-shit and then the count doesn't start until about 8.20. Oh my God. The count should start at like 6.30 and then we can all be in bed by 10 o'clock. Like, oh my God. Instead, I'm I'm doing a fucking podcast at bloody 11.30 at night. <laughs> oh Anyway, it was a good, the last couple of rounds were pretty exciting. I was getting pretty excited. It was amazing right until that very, very last game and Lockie Neal got the three votes and won it. I was like, oh no, oh dear. (laughs) People are going to be cross and people are cross. People are very cross. Um, What else have I written down here? It's definitely not a forwards award. Jeremy Cameron found that out the hard way. His six goals and 30 touches in whatever it was, round two or something. One vote. (laughs) One vote for like... Lee Matthews kind of numbers. <laughs> One vote. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> like, oh, you poor bugger. Um, the goal and the goal and mark of the year, right? P- very happy with the mark of the year. Himmelberg all the way back in round one. That was probably the best mark of the year. He got up nice and high. he got the second lift. The second lift is always a great way to win this award. Like you get up, 
like you, you know, you, you're on their shoulders and then you extend your body, right? You stretch yourself out and you get that's the appearance of like a second launch. Um, and that always looks great. So I thought of the three, um, his was definitely his, well, he had two marks in there, which is quite remarkable. That's too funny. <laughs> God. Um, so I thought that one was the best of the three goal of the year. Um, congratulations to Will Ashcroft for having the third best goal of the of the year. There's no way this won. It's it's an excellent goal. Degree of difficulty very very high, but it's a party trick goal. It's a party trick goal. Players practice this shit all the fucking time. It's a party trick goal. Yeah, the 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 Paul Curtis goal was the best goal of the year, right? On the deck, gets up, gets the ball, fends off a couple of players, kicks the ball from 35 metres out, very, very tight angle, gets it to bend back and go through. That's the best goal of the year. Closely followed by the Houston goal after the siren. Yeah, I know it's just a drop punt, but it's from outside 50. It's at the end of a very, very tough game, and it's in the wet. When you try kicking a soaking wet football with like your legs that have got no juice left dead straight 55 meters good luck degree of difficulty very very high um so yeah i mean and and look it's voted on by the fans so there's no one to to like you know blame um but i just think it's wrong another takeaway from the night if you want to get brownie points with just everybody, take your mum to the Brownlow. To all the boys who took their mums to the, including bloody Zach Butters, who was, you know, a chance to win it, takes his mum. Like, what a legend. He he's, he needs to do a bit of PR work after his um, work in the semifinal with the, with the, um, with the chair and the, Giants physio and the, the water person. So just needed to get back in the good books with everybody. And he did a good job taking his mum. What a legend. A few other guys had their mums there. Always nice to see. Um, what else have I got here to cover? Noah Anderson, with with a handful of rounds to go, I was like, this is going to be like an Angus Brayshaw 2018 kind of year. Just out of nowhere, a young player just polls way more votes than everyone thought they were going to. He he did brilliantly. Ended up ninth in the end, I believe. Um, still just an unbelievably good effort. That was surprising that he pulled so well. But then the player who actually became that 2018 Brayshaw type, Errol Goulden. Errol Goulden. He probably should have won... <laughs> I feel like he probably should have won. He had 42 touches and kicked two goals in the last game of the year. Doesn't get a fucking vote. What? That might have been the worst one of the lot. <laughs> that might have been the most unbelievable robbery of the whole. Or did he get one vote? He got one or none. Either way, he should have been. He should have gotten 10 votes <laughs> for that effort against Melbourne. Um it was what that that game was wild when you, when you realised that it was going to come down, you know, possibly to that game, and then Errol doesn't get rewarded for his game, and then Viney steals the three votes off Petrarca. I don't know if Petrarca, does, I don't know what his numbers were. 
in that game, whether he deserved to get any Brownlow votes. But when they, Jay Viney, three votes, everyone's like, what? Ah, everyone's going crazy. I love it when like everyone who's present starts to really get into it. I found that really, really funny. Um, Saints players, Jack Sinclair finishing 10th is a really, really good effort. 21 votes for him. I had him only ended up ending up on like you know, approximately 15. So he picked up quite a few more votes than I thought he was going to. Um, Crouch as well was a surprise that he ended up on 18. Um, I didn't have him polling quite that many. Same with Steele. I think he ended up on 15. Um, really good effort from those three guys. I had Marshall polling uh, around 8 or 10. He only polled the three. So, yeah, Ruckman just don't get recognized. Even Max Gorn only ended up with... I don't think he got more than 10 in the end. Um, might end up with a handful. So Ruckman don't get recognized. This is a midfielder's award. It's another problem with this award is that it's only ever won by midfielders. So there's, there's got to be a way to rejig it, to give like, like Jeremy Cameron kicked six goals and had 30 disposals and got one vote. Like, and, and then later, like, you know, another St. Kilda example um, later in the year, Max King kicked six goals. He only had like eight or 10 touches and he got the three votes. Like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's like, you got different umpire, different umpires, different umpires who care about different things, officiating different games. There is a lot of problems with this award. There's a lot of problems and they've been highlighted in tonight's broadcast. Um, but you know, look, the year that we've had deserved a count like this. It deserved an insane count that going into the last round, there was, well, how many, how many players were in contention? There was five or six that could still win it. Um, I think there was five that could still win it, you know, which, which leaves you with many, many different possibilities for how it could have played out. Um, Pretty wild, pretty wild. Um, but yes, look, well done, Lockie Neal. Um, under strange circumstances, no doubt. He was the most surprised out of everybody. He's probably sitting there thinking, oh, I didn't even make the All-Australian side. Oh, there's no chance of me winning. He had nothing prepared. Him and all the boys are sitting up in Brisbane. I'm amazed they had a medal there for him just in case. I'm amazed that they had one ready. I wouldn't have been at all surprised if you were like, oh, sorry, we'll get that to you when we can. We didn't think you were going to win. We'll, we'll drive it up. We'll be there soon. <laughs> oh, dear. But yeah, the, 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 I cannot wait to listen to the radio tomorrow and hear people ring Jared up and just fucking go mental over this. The, the, the stuff on social media has already been very, very enjoyable. Um, but yeah, as I said, a crazy count to, to finish off a crazy year. Alrighty, let's talk about the footy. Let's talk about the prelims because what a crazy... Let's go back to Friday night, right? Let's go back to Friday night. It feels like a lot longer than three days. It feels like much, much more time has passed <laughs> since this game than what actually has. Um, th this was an all-timer. This was an amazing prelim final. This was an amazing game of football. This is the sort of football 
that I enjoy most. There was this game, and then I think back to the qualifying final last year between the Pies and the Cats, just the most brutal, just going to fucking war stuff that you've ever seen. This was amazing. That that The last quarter in this game, I don't think I blinked. I don't think I blinked, because if you blink, you might miss just crazy shit happening, because it was crazy. The ball just ping-ponging back and forth between the arcs, especially for that that last stretch where no one scored. That was the toughest, most contested football I've seen in a long time. That was brutal, completely brutal. Um, Jordan Dugowie played one of the best finals games we've seen in a good while. 34 touches. Um, he, he ripped this game apart. He like literally the way he explodes out of stoppage is powerful and terrifying and he's going to cause serious headaches for the Lions on Saturday. Um, another player that played quite well, Dan McStay. Um, really important marking target. He he gets he doesn't always mark it, but he gets his hands to it and he gets it, you know, to ground for the players around him. He played quite well in this game. There's always a heartbreak story every year without fail. There's always one. And this year it's him and the irony that it's his former team who the Pies will be playing is not lost on anyone. Um, neither is the the result. Like one point this year going their way versus one point last year not going their way. Like the irony is not lost on anyone there either. Um, but yeah, my heart breaks for Dan McStay. That, that is just cruel and unfair luck. That is, it is cruel, but that's the way it goes. That's just the way things happen sometimes. He'll be hard to replace. He'll be hard to replace. You, you, you really think structurally they have to go tall for tall. Um, I don't know if they go Kruger or they, they go Frampton, chuck him up forward. I don't know what they're going to do, but they probably have to go tall for tall. Otherwise, they, they're they going to throw themselves out of whack a little bit, I think. Um, Nick Dacos. Oh, I totally forgot to talk about Dacos's Brownlow night. Oh, my God. Completely forgot about him somehow. So this kid in his second year, this 20-year-old, has polled 28 votes in his second year. 28 votes. He, I reckon he's going to win like 10 Brownlows on this trajectory. Like next year, he's going to get 45 votes <laughs> the way he's going. Um, th- that is an amazing achievement. And the fact that it, it got to his injury at round 21, he was on 28 votes and you think, oh, he's going to get run down in the next couple of rounds. And then he just didn't, like Lockie Neal didn't poll for a couple of weeks. Petrarca didn't poll for a couple of weeks. There's Anderson and Neal getting a couple of votes here and there, but no one was catching up to Dacos. And going into the last round, it's tied between him and Neal. Like Neal probably should have got zero votes. And what probably should have happened is Bontempelli gets his votes, jumps them to 29 and wins the Brownlow medal. But let's say he doesn't. Let's say, like, we could have easily, easily had at least a four-way tie between Goulden, Bontempelli, Dacos, and Neil. 
very easily could have had a four-way tie. Oh, it's a, it was so exhilarating to just watch his, his 28 votes just sit there and be like, all right, what do you got? Can you catch me? Oh, and then only just, not until those last couple of games that Gil called out. Um, that was very, very exciting. Now, in context of this game, so he's coming back from the injury. You want to, you, you want him out there doing as much damage as possible, but you got to be conscious. Yeah, just a little bit. I thought the decision to take him, to get him on the ground and put him forward early was strange. He, he started forward. He didn't stay there for, the, for very long, but he started forward and he just immediately looked lost. He wasn't having any impact on the game. And then after a short time, he gets put to half back and slowly works his way into the game. I don't, I don't know what, maybe it was a mistake and he just had to be there for a little bit. I don't know. That doesn't seem right. Um, it seemed deliberate, but yeah, I thought it was really strange trying to, trying to be creative in one way or another, but he, he just went on and just had zero impact. And as soon as they moved him, he ended up with like 24 disposals or something. So, um, a great game in the end from him coming back from an injury, him in the grand final, he could do something amazing. Nacos could be the one that completely rips the game open. So that'll be one to watch. What I really like about the pies, what I really enjoy to watch is just a little bit of feral they have about them. Like Cox kicks that goal in the last quarter and he goes to Taylor and just starts shoving him and then they're all in there shoving. And you got, you know, Maynard, who is just one of the best players and I firmly believe he plays fairly and honorably, but he loves just a little bit of push and shove and all that. And and that's always very enjoyable. And the Pies have a lot of players like that that just, you know, don't mind to get a little bit rough. Same with the Giants. They don't mind it either. Um, but yeah, I just, I enjoyed that aspect of the game very much. Just a little bit of venom in everything that was going on, especially in that last quarter when things started to get really, really tough um, and contested. Um, it got pretty heated at some points, which is great. And then Collingwood have an extra player that no one that no one realizes is there. They have a 19th man out there with them at all times, and it's their fans, that crowd. You know, there's the 90, what, seven, 97,000 there. There would have been oh, probably 93 or 94,000 that were Collingwood supporters. The noise, the carry on, you can't beat it. I talked last week about, you know, the Carlton fans shaking the earth with their reactions. When that siren went on Friday night, I felt it 200 kilometers away. <laughs> the earth tremored from the roar of the Pies fans. And McRae, you know, paid them a lot of credit post-game, um, and rightly so, because they play their part. You cannot question that at all. So that that was really, really sick. Um, the Giants, impressive year. Like, just couldn't be too much happier with what they achieved in 23. Obviously, you want to go that one step further. Obviously, obviously, obviously. But compared to expectations, compared to, you know, like you think about... This is Adam Kingsley in his first season. He's just picked up this list. He's figuring it out. You got to think about where they came from earlier in the year. You got to think about the stress ball stuff. You got to think about the fact that they lost to the Eagles. Interesting stat across the last two years: 
Collingwood last year lost to the Eagles, who only won two games for the year. They made it all the way to the grand final with a first-year coach, lost by a point. The Giants did the exact same thing this year. Exact same thing, except the Eagles won three games this year instead of two. So, um, So that's a pretty fun stat. As I said before, the Giants are as tough as anyone. It was made apparent in that final term where it was just everyone's going hell for leather, um, just absolutely brutal. Um, all their players that have been fantastic all year, Sean Kelly, brilliant again. Tom Green um, is, is going to be a superstar of the competition, like a superstar of the competition very, very soon. Whitfield had a good game as well. Toby Green, the captain of this side, Toby Green, just played his little heart out, just does everything. You can never question his effort or his skill. Um, He took that banana checky shot in the last term that just fell short and got marked. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. A player of his skill and ability, excuse me, I would back in to kick that goal nine times out of ten. So I've got no issue with him doing that. Um, I want to mention the footage of him from the rooms post-game with his mum and his partner. Um, It just shows you what it all means. Shows you the heartbreak. There's there's few other people. Like the supporters of a club can be devastated to the depths of their soul. They can be devastated by a loss in a final. I remember after 2009, granted I was only, what was I, 12 or 13, um, but I bawled my eyes out. I bawled my eyes out, yeah. Um, So, you know, fans can feel tremendous heartbreak over a result, but the players feel it more than any of us will ever understand. And it showed on Toby Green's face in that footage that just breaks your heart that that's that's the level to which he was affected and he's carrying a heavy load he's the captain of the club and he would feel like he let his team down with a result and when a result in a big game like this is as close as it can be that every player is going to wonder for the next six months oh what if in this one moment, I'd just done this instead and just blah, 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 like shit like that. Like stuff that they can never have again. They can never redo any moment that they can replay in their mind. So it's a tough mental space to be in. And yeah, just seeing Toby like that, just as raw as you can get, I thought was really powerful. Um, there, there was one awesome bit of play from the Giants in the last quarter, where what made me think that they actually were going to be able to win the game. They've been trying and trying and trying to break through Collingwood's back line and get a goal, right, for minutes. It had been like just, this was, you know, about the midpoint of the quarter, I think. Um, the, the footy is tough as and contested as. There's no easy ball, and the Giants just can't get a look. Yeah, so what happens? 
and and that they they played and flirted with the boundary line for the entire quarter. It was quite entertaining, but it all the the it starts on the boundary right with a little step from Perryman, who gets as he's being tackled, gets the ball to Green, who as he's being tackled, gets the ball you know over to Buckley, who then gets it to Daniels, who gets it inside to Briggs, who gets it inside again to Lockie Ash, who with just a little delicate, thoughtful chip kick gets the ball to Hogan and Hogan kicks that goal to get with get them within striking distance. Just changing it up just a little bit, just a couple of good decisions rather than bombing it in or trying to pass it around more to get a better option. Now, Lockie Ash running, you know, towards the paint of 50 just perfectly, like between, you know, Collingwood players and just chaos, just laces out Hogan, puts it right in front of his face, and he has to take the mark. That that was a really impressive passage of play from the Giants, who would have been just out on their feet at that point. But I just went, wow, like they just have to do that one more time, and they'll be in front. It wasn't to be, but yeah, I thought that was a really, really cool passage that deserved to be mentioned. Now, let's talk about the umpiring from this game, particularly the last quarter, and also a little bit of um, controversy from the game that followed the next day. So that they, they legit put the whistles away in this last term. They, they just they just stopped. They're like, no, we're not paying a single free kick. I don't care if you go and shoot that guy in the face. You're not going to give away a free kick, right? They just everything goes, everything goes, and what it led to was one of the most entertaining quarters of football that I've ever seen. But it's also one that is now just, like, the legitimacy of it is under a lot of debate (laughs) because there was free kicks just everywhere not getting paid. Like, players getting taken high, players getting tripped, and, like, you know, getting pushed and holding the ball and just everything was happening. The umpires are like, no, I've lost my whistle. This is too cool. I got to keep watching. I don't want this to stop. They're like, you guys can just be in charge, <laughs> just letting the players do whatever. Um, it made Luke Hodge really, really angry, and I understand. I completely understand. And yeah, look, I won't be surprised if he's right. And the umpires who were in that game do not find themselves with anything to do on Saturday. Won't be surprised at all. Um, bit of controversy around. What's going on with Razor Ray and his inability to bounce the ball because of his back and that leading to him being ineligible to be selected to umpire finals this year. Um, He is one of the best decision makers that we have in the umpiring ranks. There's other dudes out there, right? I don't see why it matters that his back is too sore for him to bounce the ball. Just or just let him throw it up. There's no fucking difference between it being thrown up or bounced. Yeah, you want someone to do a nice flashy bounce at the start of each quarter, sure, all right. But then every other time, Ray Ray can just chuck the ball up. Who fucking cares? It'd be more accurate, and I'm sure the um the ruckman would appreciate it if the ball just went straight up and down because it just doesn't seem to ever happen anymore. See, it's wild that Ray just is is not able to be to be picked for the grand final um 
and yeah, the umpiring in that game on Friday night, a lot of concerns. But then the worst one of the whole weekend, and this is going to lead me into the other game, was the non-call on the Sam Walsh 100-meter penalty. Right, so he gets he gets the 50 meters, and Zach Bailey's running ahead of him and doesn't get out of the way. And Walsh knows what to do. He runs faster. He runs right up Bailey's backside, right with the umpire watching, where the umpire can't miss it. And no second 50 gets paid. None. I guess Bailey can just... Like, the rule is you've got to get out of the way. There's another player from your team who will be up ahead who can stand the mark. You don't have to, like, race to get there. You've got to get the fuck out of the way. And he just doesn't. He's deliberately impeding Walsh's run. And Walsh knows it. So he just tries to make it a little bit more clear because he's not getting a free kick. He's like, right, I'll show you how much he's in my way. I'm going to speed up and he's going to trip me over. And that's what happened. No free kick. Like that is, there's no excuse for missing that. So just the the umpiring, I mean, it, it fits with how it's been for the whole year. It's been bad. It's been very, very bad. All right, let's actually talk about this game. Um, the, the best way to see if you can hack it in finals, I think, is to give your opposition a five-goal lead in the, in the first term. Oh, my God. This would have been terrifying for Brisbane. This is just like the 2018 Green Final. Collingwood kicked the first five goals, and then West Coast spend the next two and a half, three quarters, just working their way back into the game, and then finally in front... Um, Brisbane did it a little bit quicker in this game, like they were back in front before half time. But what a frightening start to this game! And Brisbane were in so much trouble; they were in so, they couldn't get it out. Carlton turned their their Brisbane's number one weapon, being forward fifty, um, forward half, I should say, turnovers against them. Brisbane couldn't get the ball out; they're just like getting it and just chucking on their boot bombing it long again and again and again, and it kept coming back again and again and again. And they were powerless to stop it. But the reason that Kitty Coleman was the best player on the ground is that he turned the game around for them. He turned it around. His kicking is elite, as elite as it gets. And he just started before the end of the first quarter. So they didn't need to go to a huddle to correct this. Yeah, which is... Ooh, which is... Which is commendable. Yeah. So Kitty Coleman, just start, rather than just trying to take as much grass as possible, just pick a couple of players out. Get a little chip kick there, get another one. And we're going to work it out methodically. And then before the end of the first term, they get a goal from this. They're like, oh, this is going to work. And then they just don't look back from there. They come back out after quarter time and they're a different team with a new method to beat you. And they just do. And as I said, you know, a, a lot of it is off the back of what Coleman was able to do um, at half back. Just beautiful kicking, setting up goals and you know, ball movement and then just all of that. Just one of the more impressive 21 disposal games. <laughs> that we've seen speaking of low disposals brisbane i've said this so many times this year their spread of contributors makes them so dangerous you don't even understand 
right? No one for Brisbane had more than 24 disposals. I think it was Berry who had 24, was their highest disposal getter. Like, who do you stop is the thing. Like, if I'm coming up against Collingwood this week, I stop either Dugowie or Nacos, or if I can limit them both, I try and limit them both. And then you, you're already like a good way of the way to defeating Collingwood. Whereas Brisbane, what the hell do you do? You can go to Lockie Neal. Great. He only, you know, he only got low twenties. You go to him, right? Dunkley and Berry and, and the others will just lift. Or you go to Dunkley and then all the others will lift. That their spread is just too good. It's too impressive how little they rely on single efforts. And it's a fucking good way to play. It's a fucking good way to play because it causes headaches for the opposition, which is exactly what you want to be happening. Um, Got to mention what Harris Andrews was doing early in that, in that first term when they were under so much heat. He kept them together. He fucking kept the team's shit together. Somehow, really great co-captain's performance. Um, I thought he was unreal, especially in that first term. Cam Rayner, he had a pretty good game in terms of like applying pressure. You know, when Brisbane needed to up their pressure after quarter time, he was a big part of that. He had a lot of impact that way, but only nine disposals for the game. He can't have a nine disposal game this weekend in the grand final. He's got to have more impact. He's got to hit the scoreboard. The pressure's got to be on from the very start, not like after Brisbane have conceded a lead. He's just got to do more in these big games. He could become a Jordan Dugowie. He should watch what Jordan Dugowie does and just copy that. Very similar like type of player, like powerful player, all about explosive power. Um, so yeah, Rainer just has to do more. Bit to be said about Brisbane's form at the G. And by bit to be said, I mean nothing to be said at all. Right? Yeah, they'd prefer their um, form line at that ground to be a little bit better than it is. Yeah, but it's not. And there's nothing they can do about it. They will take enormous confidence from the fact that they've beaten Collingwood twice this year. Granted, never at the MCG. They played them at Marvel when they came to Melbourne to play them. Um, but they have beaten the Pies twice this year. So the lessons that Collingwood were taught after their, was it round two, I think? Um, was, it that, was it that game where the lights went out? Or was that, a, was that against Melbourne? Brisbane and Melbourne. Yeah, it was against Melbourne. When did Collingwood play? It was sometime early in the year. I forget. Anyway, um, so Collingwood, whatever lessons they were taught in that first loss, they forgot by the time it got to the second loss because they got beaten again. It was, it was that high-scoring game. It was like 100 to 124. Very high-scoring. Um, and Brisbane got the job done. So th- they won't be at all worried about who their opponent is. They won't be worried about the crowd or anything like that. But that they need to get out of their heads about the whole you know, MCG hoodoo thing. They cannot spend a single second thinking about that because it will be their undoing for sure. 
Um, they also need to really um, limit Collingwood's attempts to punch them right in the face at the start of the game. That's what Carlton did. They just came out and punched them right in the face, and then they were five goals in front. Collingwood like to start really fast as well. They like to get hot and heavy early, and then they like to just ride it out and just try and sort of hang on to and manage a pretty healthy lead. So Brisbane don't want to allow them to do that because then they're just then they're just going to be running uphill for the whole rest of the game, and you want to avoid that. Um, Carlton. Let's talk Carlton. Very good start to this game. You, you may have heard somewhere at some point that they kicked the first five goals. So really, really good start from the Blues. But then after that, they only kicked one goal in about 80 minutes of play. So um, it all just got a little bit too brutal for them. I think like they'd had a couple of very tough victories over the last couple of weeks before this. They got banged up players. Um, Brisbane are an incredibly capable team in general, but even more so at home, at the Gabba. Um, I, I don't know if there is a team in the AFL this year who, when they're at their best, could beat Brisbane at home anything anything better than, like, 60% power. You know what I mean? Like, even an underdone Brisbane side would would beat, like, you know, Essendon at their very best at the Gabba, right? They, they've got the Gabba locked the fuck down this year. To, um, this is something they've never done before, actually, Brisbane. Gone undefeated for an entire season at the Gabba. So that, that, that just shows, like, every team who has a home ground like that that is theirs, they want to make it their fortress. You want it to be a fortress. You know, the Eagles want Optus Stadium to be a fortress, the Giants want Heritage Bank to be, not the Giants, the Suns want Heritage Bank to be a fortress. You get what I'm saying? And Brisbane have genuinely turned um, the Gabba into a fortress. I don't know when they're going to lose there again. It might be a little ways away just yet. Um, yes, so as I was saying, talking about Carlton, Sam Walsh was very, very good. He's had a very, very good final series. But, you know, he had another 30-plus, hit the scoreboard. Um, if Carlton had pressed on into this week, I think regardless of the result, he would have ended up with the Gary Ayres medal. Just an unbelievable performance again. But just an awesome effort across the whole final series. From Sam Walsh, first... Oh, dearie, man. Yeah. Blade Channel 7 for the fucking brown leg going forever. Um, <laughs> um, something that I feel Carlton need to go and try to find in the off-season is someone who's got a bit of X-factor. Like someone who, you know, when this game's starting to be a bit of a problem, you know, someone who's playing like that half-forward sort of role who, you know, maybe there's just like a crazy chaos ball that goes inside 50 for the Blues and then they've got this X-Factor player who just, you know, jumps on it and gets a free kick or is able to extract it and, you know, have a crazy shot for goal and just nail it and pick up morale and and have that sort of big impact really quickly. Um, so, yeah, it, it just didn't feel like 
any of Carlton's sort of medium to small forwards had that capability at all. Um, so that is something that they might like it. Motlop didn't seem like it. Fogarty didn't seem like it. Um, Jack Martin didn't seem like, you know, he was ready to, you know, rip the game apart and get his team back into it. So that's something that they can work on and whether they want to get new personnel to, to help them work on that. And that's up to them. But that is just one thing that I sort of felt that they needed in this game. Um, where am I up to? I thought as well that the crowd, that the Blues, were able to gather at the Gabba was awesome. Well done to all those Blue fans who made the trip up. I don't know how expensive flights are, but I was hearing stories about, oh, I'm, I'm driving to uh, Orange, and then we're catching the bus to like, Glen Innes, and then, <laughs> people doing, and then we're driving from there back, back down to Sydney, and then we're flying from Sydney to... <laughs> to Darwin and then, and then to Seminyak and then, and then and then we're going to Brisbane, right? <laughs> just wild stories of people just doing anything they can, Blues fans doing anything they can to get to this game and I do not blame them at all. Um that'll do for the for the breakdown of the prelims. It's going to be an amazing grand final. I think it will genuinely be an amazing grand final. My tip is Brisbane for a number of reasons. They've beaten Carlton twice. Carlton Collingwood twice already this year. Big help. The McStay injury. I don't know how they cover for it or you know what type of coverage they go for. I'm not sure. Um, but that will affect the outcome as well, for sure. It helps Brisbane enormously. Another factor is that Brisbane are playing better football at the moment. It needs to be considered. Like, Collingwood have been struggling to score a little bit. They've won their two finals, scoring 60 and 58 points respectively, which is not a lot. So can they improve in that aspect, especially when they're losing one of their key um, forward pillars? So that's that's a factor. Um, and another factor is it's going to be warm. And this might sound silly, but the forecast, I think, is for 28 degrees, which is quite hot for grand final day. And which of the two teams is used to it being warm? That's right. So I like Brisbane's chances a lot. I think the fact that it's at the MCG shouldn't be a factor. It shouldn't bother people. I don't think it really matters. If Brisbane are a professional outfit who can, you know, focus on what they're doing, the venue should not matter one bit. So, um... Yeah, it'll be fascinating to see what happens there. I don't know about the McStay replacement. That'll be really interesting. Um, I don't know what Brisbane want to do about Nacos slash Dugowie. Um, Whether you try and stop one or try and limit both or whatever they try and do, they're going to need some sort of plan. Um, Collingwood, when they're choosing a McStay replacement, they've got to think about um, the damage that Harris Andrews can cause if he doesn't have an opponent that needs to be considered also there's a great many things to be considered heading into this game one of them if you're a fan of one of these clubs maybe if you're a member would be getting a ticket now anyone who's been to the football in the last couple of years knows that getting a ticket to a game from Ticketek is the worst thing I think you can try and do in life. Um, it's awful. It's 
complicated and it's stressful. And now, so Ticketek have got a monopoly on everything, right? On all the tickets to all the AFLs, right? So it's grand final weekend. We're like, oh, right. Club members, you guys are going to get access to, you know, the tickets that you deserve, right? That are yours, right? Everyone's like, yeah, cool. And then just none of that happens. Ticketek just fucks everybody. They're moving people around. They're moving people from down the bottom to way up in the nosebleeds. Like there's just all sorts of fuckery going on. And this is the problem with grand final day. Yeah. It's way, way, way too corporate, way too corporate. You know, it is wild that club members only had access to 17,000 tickets each. The stadium seats 100,000 people and ticket text like, oh, you know, you're, you know, you can have 17,000 seats each for your members, members who are paid up, who've been going to the football in the, in the depths of freezing winter and just, you know, just supporting away with, with all their might. Just fuck them, I guess. They can just go and get stuffed. There needs to be way more tickets available for club members. Like, it should be more than 34,000 seats available at a 100,000 seat stadium for club members. Like, it's it's disgusting how corporatized the grand final is. Like, most of the people who are going to be there on Saturday don't give a solitary fuck. Maybe about football. I don't know. But because Ticketek's like, oh, yeah, we got to do it. You know, we, we got to make sure we screw you guys over while also propping up like the people who need it the least. You know, don't worry about it. You give you heaps of money and you can have whatever tickets you want. You will fucking kick out a, a family with a bunch of kids. They don't get to go to this game anymore. You can go with your family. You can sit at the very, very front in the bottom tier. You can get as close as you want to get. Or if you want, you can, you can sit somewhere even better, maybe middle tier, get a get the best of both worlds we didn't you know just just the poor fans who have just been screwed by ticker tech i love hearing jared get so cross about it because it's it's pretty it's enjoyable when he's really passionate and gets really cross about something but you know when he's cross about something that it's serious so the AFL needs to sort its shit out with Ticketek, get their own ticketing system happening, sort something out because Ticketek are a bunch of assholes. Assholes. Okay, one last thing before I finish up is this priority pick business with North Melbourne. I loved Chris Scott on 360 tonight because his blood genuinely started to boil. There's steam coming out of his out of his eyes because all of the blood in his circulatory system was in fact boiling. He's I've never seen him so so cross and so calm at the same time. Like he heard the shit that they were talking about. Like Robbo asked the question, and you can just see him start to wriggle in his chair and he'd him just be like, mm-mm, mm-mm, don't you get me, mm, st- oh, don't, mm-mm. Like he was, he was winding up to just unload and, and then he's like, it's fucking bullshit. North Melbourne played in finals heaps 
recently and they just get whatever they fucking want and then you know he's back and he's back and ross up like st kilda have hardly made finals at all in the last 10 years how about they get some like just the hypocrisy behind it just like how clubs can whinge and moan about whatever they want they just get it um oh i still firmly believe that picks are not the answer I think it should be increased salary cap space for you know X amount of time. I think that would help much more. I think I think the idea I had a few months ago was you know um, once you get beyond twenty years since you've won a premiership. So at present, that being St Kilda, that being Carlton, that being Adelaide, that being North Melbourne. I think that's everyone. Everyone else is won a premiership or was only brought into existence in the last 20 years. So you should be given, you know, because there's 18 teams in the competition, right? You want, like in an ideal world, everyone wins one grand final every 18 years, yeah? And I'll be generous, I'll even that out, and we'll say every 20 years, right? So once it gets beyond 20 years since you won a premiership, the assistance that you should be given is with increased salary cap space. So you get it for X amount of time or until you improve by, uh, you know, over X metric, whatever, something like that. I think that's way better. And, you know, it doesn't punish other clubs, right? When you give clubs priority picks, other clubs suffer because they don't get access to picks that should have been theirs. Seeing the reaction of Chris Scott... I think is a good barometer for how all the other coaches feel. They're going to be furious. And the fans will be furious as well. So it's it's not good. And it's another part of the AFL that just needs a bit of work. Andrew Dillon's got his fucking work cut out, doesn't he? Oh, dear. Yeah, I think that the North priority pick thing is just a joke. It's... Oh. It's really, really frustrating. And it's how much they're getting as well. End of first round pick this year and then two end of first round picks next year, which is up for review, whatever. That's, that is a catastrophe, is what it is. Oh, it's so... F- f- I can't imagine how frustrating that would be to be a coach of another side. Another side that like actually needs some help. <laughs> Like, I feel like North would get there all on their own. They've already got plenty of good young players. I reckon they would have gotten there all by themselves without this most recent assistance package. But yeah, I think the thing that is most frustrating is how it affects the rest of the competition. And that's poorly. And that's poorly. Alrighty. That will do. That will do. That will do for today, gang. It is very, very late. I need to go to bed. Um, that was a wild Brownlow count to finish off. Oh, a wild weekend of footy, and we got the grand final coming up now. Um, year's nearly over. It's going to be an excellent game, and there will be an excellent and thorough pod to follow. I promise you that. Alrighty, thanks very much for listening. Everybody remember to like and subscribe. Oh, dear me, to the podcast. Leave a comment, leave a review. Let me know um, what game by what player that was, I have no doubt, completely snubbed by an umpire frustrated you the most. 
that'll be a fun game to play. Alrighty. As I said, leave a comment, leave a review, tell your friends, and I'll catch you next time. Bye.